Hey everybody, welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. It is great to be back after three weeks out of the country. Had a great trip. I'll tell you all about it. But first, I am going to take care of a little business, and that is, of course, sending you to the website, TravelTalesPodcast.com, where you can see all things Travel Tales Podcast. That is our uh, photos, videos, stories, links to all our social media, which by that I mean, of course, Instagram, Twitter. We are at Travel Tales Pod on Twitter, so go check us out. But go to the website as well. You can hit all the links at the bottom of the page, uh, LinkedIn, and of course, uh, Facebook. Please give us a like on our Facebook page. And uh, iTunes. And if you go to iTunes, subscribe. It's for free, of course. And if you're there, why not give us a good rating? Cost you nothing. And of course, it helps people find the show and boosts our presence, and that's a, that's a cool thing. So if you do that on iTunes, I would very much appreciate it. Okay, with that out of the way, let's talk a little about my trip. Three weeks. It was a great time. What happened was I was invited by our friend Ashley Colburn and the good people at Touristar.tv to go to Croatia and participate in the Legends of Croatia show that they will be putting online. I believe it's coming out in January. So that seems far away, but um, nevertheless, uh, I didn't know what I was going to be doing on the thing. I thought maybe I'd be doing some on-camera stuff, and I was. I was a group of about four or five other uh, journalists slash bloggers um, who accompanied our friend Ashley Colburn, who is, a, uh, of course, a well-known celebrity there in Croatia. She was the host of the show, and we were just kind of in the background uh, asking questions and following her around. So basically, we would go around the country and uh, talk about legends that have occurred in these small towns all along the Dalmatian coast. We stayed along the coast this time, and uh, we would ask questions about, so what's this place famous for? And uh, there would be a local expert telling us about it. And after she would explain it, or he would explain it, uh, actors in full costume would kind of play out these Legends and some involved dragons and fairies and mermaids, and others were uh, more realistic. Kind of, uh, for example, a story about Drazen Petrovic, the famous Croatian basketball star who played in the NBA in the 90s and uh, died tragically in a car accident. But we went to his old gymnasium where he played on a local team there, and we talked to one of his old teammates, and uh, it was all kind of interesting, and I got a kick out of it. And uh, the people were very nice to us. I learned little uh, Croatian-isms, like uh, if they tell you it's 10 minutes, uh, it's usually about uh, anywhere between a half hour and 45 minutes. That's one of the things I learned. <laughs> How long is the walk down to the uh, ravine? Oh, it's just 10 minutes. A half hour later, still walking. Um, How long till the next uh, exit? Or we stop for lunch? Uh, 10 minutes. Mm, 45 minutes later, still driving. So that was one of the things I learned. Uh, We drank a lot of great wine, ate a lot of wonderful food. Um, I wish I would have taken some wine home with me, but I was doing all carry-on. You know how I like to travel light. So bringing home a bunch of liquid in my carry-on wouldn't have flown, but um, I did manage to uh, drink my fill and eat my fill of prosciutto and octopus salad. So that was uh, 10 days. I was a little late. I missed the first day of shooting because uh, American Airlines canceled my flight in Chicago, put me on a different flight, and I missed my connection in London, which uh, actually allowed me to stay a night in London and see uh, my friend Dara, Dara McGarry, who did the show a couple years ago, 
And uh, she's living there again. So we got to have dinner and uh, lunch the next day. So that was nice. Got my Indian curry fix in London. So that's always important. And uh, that was a, a, not a bad thing. Uh, so after the tour, met up with a, a high school friend of mine, my best friend from high school, who was in Sicily. And he got married in Sicily in well, 15 years ago, in 99. And he was doing a 15-year anniversary thing with his wife and kids. And since I was nearby... After Croatia, I flew to Sicily, and I hadn't been there since uh, 99, and it was uh, terrific. And you talk about eating. Holy cow. Uh, boy, the food is, is amazing there. Uh, the seafood especially, folks. If you go there, stick with the seafood and, of course, well, everything else. The pizza, the pasta, it's, it's, that's a given. But the seafood especially. Mm-mm, very good. And then I went back to Rome. For three days on the way back. And I hadn't been in Rome since 89, 25 years. And the irony of it, when I was there in 1989, uh, they were rehabbing the Trevi Fountain. So it was all under construction and scaffolding and everything else. So I never got to see it with the water in full glory. And I go back now, same thing. Being rehabbed, cleaned, scaffolding, construction, no water. Someone upstairs doesn't want me to see the Trevi Fountain. <laughs> um, so hopefully next time I go back, it will be working. And I will go back. I loved uh, being in Rome. It was great to be back. And uh, But boy, a lot of tourists. A lot of tourists. And I had forgotten all that time along the Croatian coast that we were pretty much away from the big tourist hordes until we got to Dubrovnik, of course. Uh, but uh, we were blissfully free of big, giant tourist crowds. And then I got to Rome, and there it was. Big, loud American voices, lost, embarrassing. Oh, anyway. But it's great to be back. Uh, now, to plan the next trip, I am going off uh, to a trip to Vail next week which I'm very excited about, another press trip. And that's just a quick one. And then I'll be back and uh, in L.A. for most of the rest of the summer. So uh, we have more guests coming up. I hope you'll stick around. And uh, speaking of guests, this episode was recorded in a hotel room in Croatia with my little handheld recorder with one of the other journalists uh, slash bloggers, a man called uh, Paul Bradbury, who really has a, an interesting story about his life. He's been everywhere. And he'd been to over 90 countries before he was 30 and uh, lives in a small island called Havar, H-V-A-R, in Croatia. We'll talk about all that. You'll hear about it. Um, I apologize for the sound quality. I did everything I could to boost up the sound. But, uh, hey, you get what you get. When you're flying carry-on, you got a little handheld recorder. So I did the best I could with it. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. Listen to Paul's story. He's, uh, he's a really interesting guy, and I got to meet a, a number of interesting people on this trip. And um, he's a good guy to know, and I'm glad I met him. So please enjoy my conversation with Paul Bradbury live in Croatia. Travel Sales Podcast. I am here in Croatia with Paul Bradbury. How would you uh, describe yourself? What would your title be? You say journalist, blogger, bon uh, vivant, 
Yeah, so man about town. A bit, bit of a waster who writes a few blogs uh, in a cafe with a few <laughs> beers and uh, seems to survive just about in Croatia doing that. International man of mystery, maybe? Uh, uh, mysterious background, yeah, and uh, an, an uncertain future. Well, you know, if you look at your background, from what I've heard, I met you, uh, we're on the, what would you call this, Discover Croatia Tour? It's Tourist Star TV, we're doing something, we're Legends of Croatia Tour. Yeah, it's an 11-day uh, trip through um, some regions of Croatia on the uh, Dalmatian coast, looking at all the legends uh, of dragons, of fairies, of everything else, bringing basically the region to life um, and trying to show that uh, the destination is not just sun, sea and, uh, and sand, which is the stereotype of uh, tourism in Croatia. Right, and if you've uh, heard Paul's accent, you can see he's from uh, Alabama. Manchester, Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> so you're an Englishman and you're living in uh, Havar, Croatia. I'm saying it wrong, aren't I? No, well, Do you pronounce I, the H at all? I, 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 I still haven't worked it out after 12 years, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> the, the, there are some people that say Havar, some people say Wa. Um, H-V-A-R. H-V-A-R, it is, yeah. Okay, so how does a, an Englishman from Manchester get to Var, Havar, and Why? It's very simple. First of all, you um, you go out to Somalia and get a job as a humanitarian aid worker. Not done. Okay, no. <laughs> um, not knowing what you're doing out there. Um, secondly, you need to get divorced. Um, done. Okay. There we go. And then uh, put your house for sale. Get the money. Get the money through. And then have a gin and tonic on a rooftop in uh, a Somali town one evening. And then um, come down for a refill and see CNN on the television with your African colleagues watching it. And then the advert comes on, and there it is. Croatia, the Mediterranean, as it once was. Now, what year, what year are we talking? 2000, 2002. Oh. And uh, basically, I'd uh, sold the house, uh, got rid of the wife, and um, got some money in the bank. And I was looking for a place somewhere in Europe. And those 30 seconds in that commercial, I just thought, it's got to be Croatia. So uh, <laughs> I'd been to Dubrovnik for two days only, so I didn't really know the place. Um, I had a friend who's Canadian who was in Sarajevo and Bosnia during the siege, during the war in, in, in the 90s, and she knew the coast very well. So she said, come to Sarajevo and uh, I'll tell you about it and maybe we can go and look. So uh, we went there, it was a beautiful August evening, the girls were very pretty in Sarajevo, the beers were flowing, um, <laughs> she got a pen and paper and she said, I'll write ten destinations which are um, interesting to maybe live in, in in Croatia and then you tell me what you think. So she started with Dubrovnik, Makarska Split and everything else. And the girls were really pretty. Yeah. And the beer was really flowing. Yeah. And I completely switched off to what she was saying. And um, by the time <laughs> she got to number 10, she said, well, which one's the most interesting? And I hadn't really heard most of what she'd been talking about. <laughs> so I uh, closed my eyes and pointed to the piece of paper. And number six was Havar or Havar. Or I, I still don't know how to pronounce it. Well, why, why an island and not the mainland? Um, simply because I closed my eyes and hit number six. Um, it was that simple? Yeah. And, and I, I felt a bit embarrassed uh, not having listened. And she <laughs> said to me, you do know it's an island? And I said, of course, great bravado, I'd never heard of it. <laughs> and, uh, and that was it. And so um, she said, because it's peak season, we have to leave very early in the morning. We can go Friday morning at three o'clock in the morning. We'll drive down. And um, we have to come back Monday afternoon. And uh, there was one town that was recommended. We went to the town. There's one house for sale. Put down my money um, that weekend. So plenty of research. You really did. I, I thorough, 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 <laughs> thorough. Um, you want to buy a big purchase like that with no research, no. Uh, well, no. You know, I was a bit of finger pointing and, yeah. uh, and, and, and a hangover <laughs> on, a, on, a, on a Saturday morning, and, and that was it. And a job done. Um, but the problem, the, well, the, the thing I learned actually was um, that it was a tourist island. And when we came in the middle of August, it was um, full of tourists, it was really lively, everything was fantastic. And uh, a month later, I came back to do the final paperwork and make the final payment, and there was nobody there. 
and I was genuinely confused because I come from Manchester in the UK where we don't have tourists oh, so, right, yeah. uh, so we, have a, we have a constant population throughout the year but this place seemed to be different and um, so uh, when I got back in September like the internet cafe had shut the restaurants were closing and suddenly I was just wondering would there even be a bakery open in the winter you know and uh, so it was at that moment I realised I had to learn a bit of Croatian so I went to the library to uh, get a like a book to go and start learning and I opened the door and there she was wife number two Aha. in waiting and now it makes sense. There we go. The plot thickens. I can never escape. <laughs> so, but did you make your living as a journalist before you got here? So, before I was there, I, I, I'd, uh, I, I'd never done any, any writing at all. Um, but really? I was in the wine business, and I was a humanitarian aid worker and stuff. And um, But when I, in 2001, when my first wife ran off with a hairy truck driver... It was a devastating moment in my life, and I went on this big trip, and I wrote my first book uh, after that called Lebanese Nuns Don't Ski. <laughs> and um, and where did you, briefly, where does the title come from? That's the, the section of the book, I'm guessing. It's, it's, it's part of the book. Basically, the, the first, t- first line of the book is, um, so what would you do if your wife ran off with a hairy truck driver? <laughs> I like the fact uh, that he's hairy. He's yeah, got to be hairy. Yeah, he was story. he was extremely hairy, okay. and, uh, and obviously that's important for uh, <laughs> a hirsute man. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Okay. Um, and so I basically decided um, after lots of drinking in the pub and uh, me feeling morose that one evening I drunkenly announced that I was going to hitchhike to South Africa, which was a great joke in the in the in the village pub, and they just felt very sorry for me. <laughs> and then I thought, well, why not? And so. Um, I announced that three months from that date, at exactly 11.37 in the morning, uh, the pubs opened at 11, I'd have two beers, and then I would walk out at 11.37 down to the motorway, um, which is about four kilometres away, uh, four miles away, and um, have a little orange sign saying South Africa, and off I'd go. <laughs> and um, In Manchester? Uh, it was just outside, just north of Oxford, so a bit further south, and so that's what I did. I, I, I got out and I... Um, you realise the roads don't exactly go straight through. No, and there's, there's the seas between as well. Yeah, I learned a lot of my travels. There's a little problem there. Yeah. You might have wanted to look at a, at a globe or a yeah. map or some sort. But then, you know, I was waiting there for about uh, three hours, and finally this guy stopped, and he said, uh, very, very genuinely, like, I'm really sorry, I'm only going to Oxford, I can't take it all the way to South Africa. <laughs> Which was a bit disappointing. I was hoping to get a, a one lift, but uh, I, uh, I had a nine month. Sounds away. I mean, that's, that's, exactly. It was a start. It's a good it's offer. A, it was a start. Yeah, but I had a nine month journey through through uh, Western Europe, through the the Balkans, through um, which is when I first came to Croatia the first time, and through um, the Caucasus and uh, Middle East and uh, East Africa, and then down to down to uh, South Africa and I met some non-skiing Lebanese nuns in the de- desert in Syria on the way. Um, hence the title <laughs> of the book. How old were you when all this happened? Uh, 30. Okay. And so roughly you and I are about the, the same age, yeah. which but, but, if any agents are listening, 29. Yeah. Different levels of success, though. I, I aspire to be like <laughs> oh, him, perhaps, perhaps one day. Um, so just like a short list, or all the list, uh, quickly, how many, name all the countries you've lived in, you've lived in at some point. That I've lived in, uh, I was a chambermaid in... Uh, Munich in Germany um, I was a laser crystals sales rep in uh, Russia just after the Soviet Union 92 I was a humanitarian aid worker in Rwanda after the genocide in Somalia and in Georgia and Tajikistan um, I was an English teacher in English, French and German teacher in Hiroshima in Japan and 
for the last 12 years I've been stuck on one little island in Croatia um, trying to make a living. <laughs> Do you feel, I mean, uh, as someone who's moved around a lot and someone who always feels kind of restless, do you feel restless on that island? I always think about it. Every time I go to even Hawaii, I go there and I go, I couldn't live on an island. I don't think I could. It's, it's, it's amazing. Before I, before, I, before I moved to the island at the age of 31, I guess, 31, 32, um, I'd been to 91 countries. Um, wow. And I lived in all those different places, and I was constantly on the move and everything else. And then two months ago, I went to do some work for the tourist board up in the north of Croatia in Istria, and they flew me up in a plane. And it was the first time in four and a half years I'd been on a plane, and I was really, really excited. And the following week, I was in Split, uh, in, the, in the city of Split, in this shopping centre, in this glass lift. It's only four storeys high. And I got such a buzz because I was in a lift because we don't really have lifts on the island. Yeah. And I suddenly was like, "Well, what's happening to me after 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 all that travel and everything else?" And then suddenly I've just become this sort of uh, insular kind of guy. But it's 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 a different way of life. And uh, you know, Dalmatia is um, a maddeningly maddeningly frustrating place if you go in with your Western attitudes of you can change it and this is in order to improve things you need to do this 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 because people that don't want change. And uh, the sooner you accept that that's the case, the easier your life will be. And once you get into that way of life, it's a bit like malaria, it gets into your blood and uh, it, it'll come back. <laughs> you mean like accepting that a Croatian 10 minutes is uh, 45 Absolutely, minutes? Absolutely. You know, okay. And uh, when they tell you it'll be 10 minutes, it's 45? Um, and you know, it took me 11 years to realise, but basically I can sum up uh, the secret of success of living in Dalmatia is the following sentence. Don't try and expect. Uh, don't expect to, to change Dalmatia, but expect Dalmatia to change you. Well, how's it changed you? Um, well, I've you know. Uh, Aside from having a family. And... Well, yeah, you know, we, we had we had we had uh, we've got two lovely girls now, but um, it changed me in in the, in the fact that I now uh, have got into that lifestyle. I haven't worn a suit for twelve years. Um, you know, li- life is very very relaxed. So you go to a meeting at ten o'clock, you turn up at eleven. It used to frustrate the hell out of me. I do the same thing now. And um, all that Western pressure of, of, of deadlines and everything else doesn't really exist here. And it's very much a sort of um, relaxed cafe lifestyle, and there's always time. Well, that being said, you said there was, we had talked about this earlier this week, that there was a, it's come to a kind of a turning point of what the island wants to be. And is it going to be this big party destination? Yeah, or is I mean, it going to be you know, I, quieter? I, I, I don't know how much people, uh, if people have heard of the island before. I mean, I, I hadn't went before I moved there. Um, but it's basically, it's Croatia's premier island. It's, uh, it's the only island in the world which has four UNESCO heritages. It's got the oldest public theatre in Europe. Um, it's known for its lavender. It's, got the, it's the, officially the sunniest island in Europe. It's got a massive nat- natural wealth heritage of culture and everything else and uh, amazing beaches uh, CNN had one of the beaches as the best uh, naturist beach in the world and so on um, and because it's so sexy uh, a lot of celebrities are coming there this is where Prince Harry fell into the swimming pool this is where Beyonce <laughs> showed her baby bump to the world and everything else and um, so now we've got this big party coming and everybody wants to sort of party on park because it's a real celebrity sort of uh, thing and there's a real clash now between people that want to preserve the island for its culture, for its heritage, for its natural beauty, and people just want to come and turn it into the new Ibiza, uh, you know, the next next clubbing thing. And uh, I think there's a big clash coming uh, quite soon about that. Is it a generational thing? I mean, are these old farmers... Uh, or fishermen there's, it's, 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 it's partly that I mean um, what's, really, what's really interesting to me about Huar is that you do get the absolute A-list celebrities come you know the, the Tom Cruises the, uh, or do they stay on their yachts or do uh, they... most stay on the yachts and, and so on but you get all that and you get these guys that are 
the owners of the restaurants on the on the front row. But come October, November, those same guys are in their in their fields picking their olives and uh, and looking after their vines and everything else. And that's very much part of the island life. And so the tourism is a, is a hugely important part of life. But it's uh, you know to get a, to get a full appreciation of life on the island, you really have to understand the culture of uh, working in the fields and everything else because uh, every every family does it. Well, let's let's go way back and let's dig deeper into the uh, wellspring that is Paul Bradbury. <laughs> well, <laughs> the uh, so you're from Manchester. You probably you may have grown up like I did. There's there's many people, many many people, probably the majority who never leave. Did you know early on where did this traveling Jones come from? I mean, did you know that you was like I got to get out of here or did? No, it, it it was. I guess looking back, I mean, I, I I'm from Manchester. I, I was fortunate, unfortunate to go to boarding school from the age of nine. Yeah, I heard I was, a couple of those stories. That's yeah, a separate podcast, well, yeah, by the it's, way. It, that's a that's a multiple <laughs> podcast and everything else. Um, where I was uh, looked after, I suppose is the word, by the Jesuits. Uh, that's for, a nice for, way for, for, for for nine years or so. Some of them ended up in prison for their um, very hands on, very hands on. Yeah, there, there was definitely, okay, good, definitely. Um, and then I went to university, and, and, I, and I guess one thing boarding school did teach me was independence and, 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 a, and a sense of adventure and so on. Uh, I went to university for a year, uh, hated it, uh, just really didn't fit in. And uh, that summer I went uh, interrating, like traveling by train around Europe. Came back to university, decided I didn't want to do it, so I dropped out. And ended up in Munich, where I got a job as the first male chambermaid in a four-star hotel. Now, how does that happen, and why? And if they're, if they're going to hire a, a male chambermaid, why not a German guy? Uh, for some reason, the Germans you know, didn't really want to do the jobs, and uh, <laughs> they had the proper jobs. And so my, my colleagues were uh, sort of gastarbeiter from, uh, from Turkey, from uh, Yugoslavia, from Morocco, places like that, Philippines, um, none of whom spoke English. And, and I was the only sort of guy there in my, my uniform. You knew German? You knew German? I knew, I knew a reasonable amount of German, yeah. Okay. Um, but my... Uh, my um, Uniform was a, a white lab coat and, and black trousers. I looked just like a doctor. And um, <laughs> my favourite story, I guess, from from recollecting that was I used to wear contact lenses, and I would never put them in in the morning because uh, you know, looking at Germans first thing in the morning was on on, on the on the U-Bahn was a bit stressful. So I always go uh, completely blind to work. And this one day I got there and um, maybe I'd had a few beers the night before, and I got I went to the housekeeper, got my list of rooms, went to my little office having some of the complimentary chocolates, just rehydrating with the water. And then I put my lenses in, and I couldn't... Um, I'd forgotten to put them in the neutralising solution, so I was putting oh. this acid straight in. So I sorted that out, but then I was completely blind, and I still had to like, go and clean 17 rooms. <laughs> and I couldn't, say, I couldn't say a thing. And so um, there were no... do not dist- or, or, there, there were no green, please clean the room, no signs. And um, so I just took pot locker and went into one, put the master key in, and... Uh, Turned the door and said good morning, housekeeping, and there was no no answer. The, the curtains were open, so I guess the guy must have left. I walked in; everything was fine. Um, I went up to the duvet, and it looked was uh, it, it was just there on its own. And so I theatrically, because you, you when, when you're a chambermaid, the first room it's all it sets the tone for the day. You know, you go in there and you've, you've really got to give it a bit of energy and stuff. And so I just yanked this duvet, and um, underneath was a naked man who had been sleeping but was no longer and um <laughs> here's a nice smooth young 19 year old boy chambermaid chambermaid dressed as a doctor uh, and, uh, yeah and uh, he screamed there's and, movies out there you can get like this 
He screamed, I screamed. Uh, I, ran, I, I ran out of the room with the duvet and went and hid in my office for another hour before I came out again. Um, and did he complain to the manager? Um, I, I didn't have the job, job for very long. No. No. That, was, that was the start of my illustrious career. So I remember you mentioned Russia and living in there. And so this is right after... This is not Soviet Union, Russia. This yeah, so I, 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 I was I, it like a free for all after the Soviet Union? It was, when? it was wild. It really was. I, I, I eventually I travelled around South America, and then I eventually decided to go back to university and do German and Russian. Um, and I went to Russia to do a language course, uh, living with a Russian family in Moscow um, for uh, a month, and just a month before the Soviet Union fell. So it was my first time. In the Soviet Union, um, and I, you know, by now I'd done a bit of travelling around South America. I wasn't, you know, an experienced traveller, and I certainly wasn't streetwise or anything. And I also had no money, mm. and so this course had been paid for, and I had three hundred dollars for the whole summer, and that included getting from it's a tight budget, three hundred dollars for the whole summer, getting from Manchester to Moscow, living there for a month, and then getting down by train to Bulgaria, where I was going to teach English with the Moonies and then getting from Bulgaria to Germany so I could do some work in the hotel to get some more money to go back to. You mean the Moonies, Reverend Sengen Moon? That's the man, yeah. yeah, well, yeah. I spent a month with him in Bulgaria, yeah. Uh, the, the same summer as the first uh, Soviet Union. Okay, we'll get to that later. And, let's, uh, get <laughs> let's get back to Russia here. And so I, I looked at flights to Mo- Moscow from Manchester, and they were like $250, which obviously would put a severe dent mm-hmm. in my $300. Yeah, $50 to live on. Yeah. So I thought I'd hitchhike. Um, and so I hitchhiked from Manchester to uh, I got as far as Warsaw in Poland and um, bought the ticket for the train to go across the Soviet Union but it was worse than those Indian trains that had like people hanging out of the side of yeah, the train yeah. I just didn't think I'd be able to like hack that so I went to and I found a flight for $90 so I figured I'd still have just over $200 left so it was kind of okay but um, I had the address of this family to stay with but I didn't... Um, have any contact with them and, you know uh, you know, I was supposed to come on this Saturday or Sunday and to contact and I just thought it would be much better if I just tried to find the place for myself um, <laughs> and so I arrived in the Soviet Union um, came out of Sheremetyevo airport saw lots of Soviets um, found a bus that was going Soviets? To Soviets. So were we still Russian? Well, this was still Soviet Union yeah, when I oh we're still? yeah oh yeah, yeah. And um, I got on a bus, and some I had a big map, and I had my little address, and I asked somebody, and they said it's kind of here and stuff. And so I got off out of this metro station, and you know the address was number sixty-two, and I got out at number two. So you think you're quite close, but in the Soviet Union, like number two was a whole apartment block, yeah. and then it was sixty like a, blocks. You're, you're and I was just like walking <laughs> for like an hour and a half. You know. And so I get there, and I feel quite triumphant, and now I've got, it's like number 62, and it's corridor 5, and it's apartment number 492, and I've got this real sense of achievement that I've managed to find this address in the Soviet Union on my own with almost no Russian. And um, so I go in, and I go up to the fifth floor, and I knock on the door, and this voice says, who is it? And I said, my very broken Russian, I said, oh, my name's Paul Bradbury, English guy, come to stay. Go away. And I was like, no, no, no. And he says, who's that? I said, my name's police. He said, go away. So he threw me out. It was now 9 o'clock at night. And so there was an emergency telephone number to call. So I went down to the corridor, and I saw all these babushkas, all these old ladies sitting there. And I said, can I use your telephone? And they were, like, really curious. And so they let me into the apartment. I made the phone call. No answer. Oh. And it's now like 9.30, and I'm like, well, what the hell am I going to do? I'm in the middle of the Soviet Union. Um, you know, no, nobody wants to open the door. So I had my tent. 
so I just like pitched my tent in the middle of this residential area, and there was just a massive crowd of people. Like, hey, who is this foreigner? What's he kind of doing and stuff? And so well, the, police, the police must have come. They were they, they would have been around the corner, I guess. And so anyway, I, I got in there and I was tired, and I, I went to sleep. And then uh, after about an hour, this uh, voice in English said, are you, "Are you the English guy, Paul?" I said, oh. And it was the it was the grandson of the guy who was told never to open the door to a stranger, ah. and he was the only guy at home at the time. <laughs> so that's kind of how I started in the Soviet Union, and and you know it's it was a crazy time. Yeah, I, I went to live there for a year and a half. I was an aid worker in uh, in uh, Yekaterinburg on the Ural Mountains on the edge of Siberia, where it was minus thirty two when I arrived. Oh, um, and um, that's a bad uh, posting. For, for yeah. an organization, um, we flew a lot with Aeroflot. Um, two of my favourite passenger announcements uh, on planes that I was on. Uh, the first was uh, with the owner of the gas canister at the back of the aeroplane. Please come forward because it's leaking, <laughs> and uh, which was surpassed only by um, the passenger announcement. Uh, Does anyone have a spanner? A what? A spanner. Spanner. Uh, a, a wrench, I guess you call it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So does anyone have a that's, that's a good, yeah, yeah, great yeah, kind of thing. So yeah, when I took a Cubana Airlines flight from uh, Cancun to uh, Havana, mm-hmm. and uh, it was it was an old Russian airplane. I mean, this thing must have been you know Eisenhower era yeah. kind of. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Was, I mean, it still had the ashtrays and the it, they, 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 they would turn on the AC, and uh, you know, this massive amount of steam just came out and just engulfed. Yep. The entire thing. Well, and they just looked around it. It's, it's, it's happens. Been, yeah, but yeah, it's been it's been doing that for many years, and it's just about okay and stuff. And uh, the so, only yeah the, the the only in-flight movie I ever saw on an internal Aeroflot flight was Airport Seventy Seven, which is which is about a plane crash. Yeah, so was, yeah. Usually they don't yeah. let those in. So give me your your most scary story of living in Russia, whether it's with the police or. Um. Well, I guess one of the funniest stories was, was the time I was arrested. Was I was uh, I was in bed um, on a Sunday morning uh, in uh, the apartment in Petersburg where I was living with a lovely Scottish girl who I was madly in love with, but she wasn't with me. <laughs> and um, I was like naked in bed, working away on my computer, and uh, the phone rang, and it was a friend of hers who had come from from uh, from the uh, Ukraine and by train, and said, "Could we could we collect it?" And so she said, you know, can you come and take me in the car and pick him up? I said, no problem. But I'm going to then go back and do some work. So I just put on my bathrobe, which uh, my mother bought me when I was 13. And, uh, so I guess it's not full coverage. If you, well, you know, when I was 13, it was, a bit, it was on the short side. But by the time yeah. I was 22, it was, uh, it was uh, definitely suspect. And, and off, we set, off we set towards the train station. And um, we were about 100 metres away. And there was a left turn, and I was just about to go down when I saw this no left turn sign. So I went round the block again and came out to the same place. And as I came back, I saw this taxi in front of me go left. So I figured it'd be okay. So I went left, and uh, there was a policeman. And the taxi driver sailed on. The policeman stopped me. My friend said, I have to go to get my friend from the station. And so she left me in my 13-year-old bathrobe um, and the policeman. And he asked for my documents, and I said, well, actually, I don't have them with me. And he said, okay, then you have to come out of the car and go to the police station. And I said, but I'm wearing my 13-year-old bathrobe. <laughs> and he said, I don't really care. So I said, okay. So I took a deep breath and uh, got out of the car and followed him in my bathroom, um, which really didn't cover everything that he needed to. And uh, we went in, he booked me and everything else, and uh, he told me that there was a 50-ruble fine to pay, which is about $3 at the time. Right. And I said, you know, I left my wallet at home. Yeah. And he said, but does your girlfriend have the um, money? I said, I, I think she does. He said, well, go and ask her. And I said, but she's at the train station. And he says, I don't care. 
So I said, okay. So I then back on the street, and it was a five five lane traffic either way, uh, standing at the traffic lights there, waiting for the to go green. And um, <laughs> you know, I went to the train station. I couldn't find her. Uh, I can verify there are twenty two platforms at St Petersburg train station. Yeah, I've been up and down them all. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and then I came back and. Uh, she was there with a friend who I'd never met before who was just kind of looking you're at me. You're in your bathroom. I'm still so. in my bathrobe, yeah. yeah <laughs> Do you have shoes on or anything? No. No? no. no barefoot, okay, good. Barefoot, barefoot. It was summer, you know. That's a great picture. And then she, uh, I finally saw her, I said, oh, you know, can I borrow $3? And she's, she's Scottish. She said no. <laughs> <laughs> but finally we resolved it. Um, <laughs> It was wild. It was it was it was lots of it was a vodka drinking place. It was it was just crazy. The, the Russians were just yeah, and there was this whole sense of freedom after after Soviet times. And we were uh, I, I got a job as an aid worker in, in, in on the edge of Siberia, and we had this crazy uh, humanitarian aid project called um, Operation Provide Hope, where the American military were offloading their sort of supplies from the first Gulf War in their in their warehouses in Germany as humanitarian aid. And they had this um, fairly cringeworthy message on the side of every box. Uh, this is a message of hope from the people of the United States of America to the people of the Democratic Republic of Russia as, as a sign, as a gesture of solidarity in your struggle for democracy. And you know that was okay in a sense. But what they did was they they basically emptied these military warehouses, and they wanted to reach as many people as possible in all the republics of Tajikistan and and, and Kyrgyzstan and, and Russia and everything. And so they had a list of 90 different products, um, things like four kilos of brownie mix. Well, you four, need that. Yeah. Four kilos of ketchup. Uh, sugar and things like that. There were some, some useful things. There were some totally, totally, totally inappropriate things. <laughs> and, Pumpkin pie mix. Enjoy this. And then they basically they wanted to reach as many people as possible to get this message of democracy uh, yeah. solidarity out. And so... Uh, Rocky Five DVDs. That kind of thing. I mean, it, it wouldn't have been... A, uh, the, 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 the funniest example I came across was they gave out these um, airport wipes. You know, you know those little... Uh, on the airplane, these little wipes. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. Like... And this pensioner received this, and uh, he couldn't speak English, but he could read Latin. And he was looking through all the ingredients, and he saw the word preservatives uh, in, in, in the ingredients. And he went home to his wife, and he said, Ah... Oh, special surprise tonight and in the morning he went down to the social services to complain about, about the quality of American condoms <laughs> because the, the Russian word for condom is preservatil so, oh. so he went down and stuff so, so there, was, there, was, there was catastrophic mis- right. misunderstanding of what these things were but we had all these products come in like the four kilos of ketchup and everything else and they brought a nutritionist in from France to try and match up all these different things to give the best nutritional value but each beneficiary got four items. So you might get like a tin of pineapple chunks, four kilos of ketchup, some chocolate icing, and some brownie mix. Yeah. And that that's, not a, that's not a dessert I want. Well, that's, uh, but that, but that's, <laughs> it's not really a message of solidarity. Yeah, really, the American yeah. people want either. And it was a, it was a total, total, total uh, disaster. So I was I was sent on to national t- regional television to do interviews in Russian to try and defend this farce and everything else. So that was... Uh, well, when you see... The way Russia has become since you've been there in the last you know, 13, 14 yeah. years, is it the way you thought it was going to go, or did, or is it better or worse? No, it's it, you know I you know people go back and uh, and look nostalgically at the Soviet Union now and everything else, and what what it had there it had a safety net, and uh, it was it was completely messed up in many many other ways, 
But you had all these people that, you know, they fought in the Second World War, they fought all their wars all their lives, they did everything for the party, everything else, and they came to their retirement, and then it was all taken away with this new world order, and their pensions of $7 a month in modern capitalist Russia, that buys a kilo of tomatoes for yeah. a month and everything else. And just to see that sort of devastation of their lives was, was really, really hard. And well, you still got that leftover brownie mix, too. I mean, well, you know, it's not it, it, discount it, it, there. It, it, it does take a while to get through four kilos, <laughs> I admit. You know, so, <laughs> so um, no, but I'm finding that here. Yeah, you know, the, we've talked to I've talked to some uh, some of the older people here, and I'm surprised how many in Croatia are still kind of uh, you know look longingly back on that well, they, well, uh, Yugoslavian well, era. Well, well, they do because the, the corruption in, in Croatia, but especially in Russia, and you see these people overnight are just making millions and billions well, yeah, and everything yeah. else. And you know, it just wasn't like that before, and and, the, and there was free uh, healthcare and everything else. And now to get an operation, you have to pay bribes that you, you can't afford on your, on your pension and so you know, pe- people are falling by the wayside but in Yugoslavia they had a different form it was not the Soviet Union no you, like the Soviet Union thought they were pretty free here yeah you, Yugoslavia was, was uh, I mean I'm, the, the more I live here the more I realize what a total paradise it was I mean there was freedom to travel uh, you know you know, the, the mixture of, of what you have in Croatia, in, 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 in Bosnia, in, in, uh, in Slovenia, in, in, in Serbia, together in one country, it was just it had everything, and uh, and people were relatively free, and uh, they had amazing tourism, mass tourism, and Croatia was those were the golden years of Croatian tourism. I mean, now it's nothing compared to what it used to be. Right. Well, not to get too serious, but I mean to explain it to the uh, them Americans who never go anywhere. <laughs> um, we remember the uh, you know Kosovo and Bosnia and the whole sure. thing in the in the nineties. But uh, and from the outset, it's almost like, uh, you know, even when I come here, you look at a Bosnian, a, a Croat, and a Serbian, and they're like 95% similar. Yeah, all, it, it's, it's I mean, pretty You look at it, it's like they're all a bunch of white people. They look alike, and yeah. they, they yeah. talk alike, and yeah. I don't know, what, what's the big deal? Exactly. Why can't they get along? And so what, what did it come down to? The Serbs were really kind of behind it, right? Uh, it's 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 a massively complex issue. All right, well, and, moving and, on. Yeah, it, 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 it would be. I mean, I'll, I'll get but people to... still, but they travel between each, right? Or Bosnians will come here and, and yeah, sure. And and and, and will now Serbs come. To... Uh, they're coming back, um, and so they will come uh, to Croatia. Yeah, I mean, for, for for a few years after the war, uh, it was a definite no-no. And you know the ones that did come down in their in their cars with their Serbian plates that have their tire, tire slash that kind of thing, but now they've re- they've reintroduced direct flights from Split to Belgrade, for example. Uh, there's a great food festival every year from Hua from our island up in Belgrade called Days of Hua Cuisine, where one restaurant goes up and cooks for three weeks in this particular restaurant in Belgrade, and all the old guests from you know twenty thirty years ago and stuff they're all there and 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 slowly 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 it's warming up because it's a very very important tourism market for Croatia. Okay, we're going to close this up with what I call like a speed round. I'm going to do you can do the quick answers, okay. quick questions, and quick answers. Uh, your worst flight you ever had? Uh, flight, uh, I think it was uh, one nineteen. <laughs> with, uh, oh, you remember the number? That's uh, pretty good. Uh, uh, Yemeni, Yemenia on twentieth of August two thousand and one, which uh, Boeing seven two seven from uh, Sana in uh, Yemen to Eritrea, uh, Asmara in Eritrea, which. Um, Crashed on landing. Uh, it was uh, it overshot the runway, and it was like being in a four by four, but being in a seven two seven. And as we finally came to a rest, we were at thirty degree angle. The the wing had snapped. The good news was that the oxygen masks do come down automatically, um, <laughs> and there was total silence. And uh, then the strangest thing happened. Everyone started laughing, going to the overhead lockers, getting their 
things and just queuing up to go down to get off the plane as normal <laughs> until somebody said in Tigrin in the local language, benzene, benzene. And then... Oh, the fuel was Yeah, there. well, we could, somebody could smell fuel and then there was a bit of panic and we got thrown down and we sort of managed to get 100 metres away from the plane and fortunately it didn't blow up or anything. Well, did they open the slides? Or yeah, they had down the slides, yeah. It, oh was, quite, it was quite exciting. Um, but the, <laughs> quite inter- exciting. the interesting thing was that I came back 10 days later to fly out at the same airport and the, all, the, all the insignia of the aeroplane had been taken off. It was all painted. It was completely white. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I guess that was the hairiest. Craziest thing you ever eat? Uh, huh, craziest thing I ever ate. <laughs> I guess, I guess, on oh, dormice, I suppose. Uh, we're, we're, there's a village that has a, a tradition every year to do, they, they grill... Oh, the, the dormouse festival, yeah, you they, Yeah, they, they, they grill dormice and stuff, and um, I, I didn't quite believe it until I went there, and I was actually five American vegetarians didn't believe it either, so they egged me on to try it. <laughs> and uh, so, that, so that was pretty weird. Um, zebra, I suppose, yeah. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah. See, I didn't have that in Africa. Yeah, there's, there's a restaurant called Carnivore in Nairobi, which is very famous. And oh, yeah, no, so, I, was, I was just in Nairobi, and uh, yeah. some people in my group went there, and I didn't go. Certainly ten years ago, they were, they, they were selling uh, zebra. And the bizarre thing about it is that the meat on the inside is black and white as well. It's very strange. Really? No, I'm joking. No. Oh. <laughs> you. Okay. Um, let's see, your worst... Uh, do you ever get food poisoning anywhere? Uh, I got dysentery in Tajikistan. Yeah. Oh, that'll do it. Yeah, yeah. India was my downfall, yeah. my Waterloo, as it were. Yeah, yeah. In, in, in India is the graveyard of many. Yeah. <laughs> one place, one country you would absolutely never go back to. Kosovo. Okay. Which is right next door. Here. Yeah, right next door. Yeah. Just horrible. Is, is it the corruption or is it like just no, people? Everything. I was there. Uh, I mean, the ethnically the same as Albanians. Um, and Albania is a country I love, and I'd go back. I've been 70, 80 times to Albania. I think it's great. But so I was in Kosovo, two thousand and one, um, after all this NATO bombing and all that help that NATO gave, and it was just the it was horrible. Just the atmosphere, the arrogance of the people, and, and I was, yeah, no, never again. The country you always wanted to go to and haven't been. Uh, Transnistria. I'm sorry, what? Transnistria. It's a it's a breakaway Russian republic on in uh, western Moldova, and uh, it's just it's like the last Stalinist state of uh, of the world still going, and uh, sounds fascinating. That sounds great. So all this travel that you've done, and then how has it changed you as a person? And how you view the world and people in general? I think I'm not, I've been very privileged to have travelled so, so much, and um, you know I've got some great memories. And uh, I guess it's made me a lot more accepting of different people, different arguments, different uh, different cultures, and so on. Because you know uh, the island where I live, people are very very insular, uh, being on an island, and they have very preconceived ideas about everything and uh, you know I went into like Gaza and the West Bank and I was in a gun battle with the Israelis and the Palestinians and once you see it close up you know I was there after, after prayers when they were throwing the rocks at the Israeli things you were in a gun battle not yeah, I was between the two. Yeah, yeah. Um, between the, the Israeli. Just having a coffee? No, oh, just, just walking through. What were you doing? I was just, you know, just, just having a look around, seeing yeah, what's going yeah. on. Take cover, friend. Come yeah, on, that kind of thing. Yeah. And um, well, the iced coffee is very good. It is. It is extremely good. Extremely good. <laughs> uh, as are the olives. But yeah. I, but but I, uh, I just really, when you go to experience places, you can re- you can truly understand. There's so much propaganda about how things are on television, and, and you know, and I, I remember in. Uh, in uh, 1976, when I was six years six years old, the two 
places I really wanted to visit just because they were always in the news in 1976. It was Soweto in uh, the, the the Black Township in, in, in South, South Africa, Africa and Beirut. And on this big trip after the hairy truck driver, I was fortunate to go to both of those. And I you know had a guided tour with a white guy through the Black Township of, of Soweto. And I, I can't tell you how different it is there to the stereotypes that I've grown up with all my life. And it was the same in Gaza, it was the same in the West Bank, it's the same in so many people. And so I, I just encourage people, get out there and travel. You know, Don't believe all the stuff you, you, you read and everything else. You Get out there and experience it for yourselves. Now you've written a uh, number of books. Where can people see your stuff and uh, yeah, your website you want to promote? Or? Yeah, sure. I've written, uh, so my first book was called Lebanese Nuns Don't Ski. And, um, Great title. Yeah, it's, 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 on, it's on Amazon, Inc., on Kindle and in paperback. And second book is uh, about uh, an Englishman's experiences of 10 years living on a Croatian island. And that's called Lavender Dormice and a Donkey Named Mercedes. <laughs> and uh, my next book's coming out later this year. is called Around the World in 80 Disasters. And uh, in terms of website, I run a website called Total Hoar, uh, which is total minus Hoar dot com. Total is it underscore or dash? Total dash. Total dash Hvar dot com. dot com. And uh, well, thanks, man. Good. It was great to meet you. Yeah, I've had fun hanging out with you the last week. Yeah, it's, been, it's been it's been a good week. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. I says, "No one ever come back to Var. You got me uh, set up. We're gonna That's do it. this. We'll do it. We'll eat some right. dormice." <laughs> it's a dumb ice. Okay, great. That's Paul Bradbury, everybody. Thank you for listening. Bye bye.